0: Us are excited about what we're going to receive. Depending on how many we have to make, uh, we're looking forward to family gatherings. If we have to make more than two family gatherings, not so excited. But if we're making those family gatherings, sometimes we look forward to those family gatherings because sometimes, uh, even though we live in close proximity, we may not see some of those relatives very often so we're excited about having those times to get together but you know regardless of of our feelings about all of the events of Christmas hopefully as we think about Christmas itself we have positive thoughts and we're mindful of the birth of Jesus Christ and what the birth of Jesus Christ is on December 1st I have a devotional it's sent to my phone and on December 1st, it starts sending me Christmas passages and Christmas verses. And, and so I've spent time reading Advent and, and reading about the birth of Christ. And so December 1st, I received a, a message on Isaiah 9, verse 6. And I had the opportunity to read that. And as I read Isaiah 9, verse 6, my mind has just been working with Isaiah 9:6 and being mindful of what we have that is shared with us in Isaiah 9-6. And so as I thought about the next four weeks of of Christmas month and Christmas thinking, I thought I would let Isaiah 9-6 kind of begin our month and kind of let Isaiah 9-6 kind of lead us and direct us in the next few weeks that we have together thinking about Christmas. But I want to take some time this morning to examine all that's in Isaiah 9 Verse 6. And so if you don't have your Bibles open already to Isaiah 9, verse 6, we'll give you a good six, seven seconds to get there uh, and find Isaiah 9, verse 6. I was kind of excited this morning because as I opened up my Bible just getting ready to leave the study to come out here, my Bible fell open to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So it's kind of exciting to see. That my Bible's broke in. It opens to Genesis automatically and 2 Corinthians automatically. Nice to see Isaiah 9 opening. Isaiah 9 verse 6. I've given you a few extra seconds to find it. But Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is probably the most well-known Christmas verse there is. Isaiah 7.14 probably is another one. But I guarantee if you go Christmas card shopping and you begin looking at Christmas cards, you will find several with Isaiah 9.6 recorded for you. Uh, It appears in Christmas cards every year. This verse Isaiah 9 verse 6 is recognized as a messianic promise it is speaking about the Messiah a promise of a coming Savior the Messiah the anointed one the one who would redeem his people this anointed one this coming Savior is going to be the basis of our study for this upcoming month and as we look at this passage this morning there are two headings that we're going to look at that we're going to examine. The first heading is the miracle. And we're going to think and meditate and be mindful of the miracle. And the second thing we see is the majesty. And hopefully, as we stand and sit in awe of this verse, hopefully, the majesty of what's included in this will grip us and will shape us and mold us as we celebrate Christmas. Before we dive into this passage this morning, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this chance to be together. And I do pray, Lord, that in our time together, you would open our hearts and our minds. Open our hearts and minds to what you have for us, Lord. Lord, I know there's nothing that I can share that's of any value. I know even the thoughts that I've had this week have... have been dim in comparison to what your word can share with us. So I pray, Lord, that it would be your word that we would hear this morning, not the ramblings of some man. But I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, I ask your anointing on your word this morning that we would hear from you. So just take my mind and my heart and my tongue, Lord God, and allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, Lord. But certainly nothing less either. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing we want to look at in this passage is the miracle. Isaiah 9:6 begins this way, and it says, For to us. Now, as we look at this passage here and as we see this beginning to unfold, Isaiah chapter 9 uh, was a dark time for Israel. Uh, Israel had been taken uh, captive from Assyria. Assyria had come in and taken the people of Israel captive. Uh, The people people of Israel were the northern ten tribes of Israel and Assyria came in in about 722 BC and and took them captive and and the way it often worked when a nation moved in and and overcame another nation is they would take all of the citizens of that nation captive and they would take them home with them and they would leave citizens behind so that the citizens behind could influence all of the residents that they didn't take with them and so much of Israel had been taken captive by Assyria and it was a a time of of doom and gloom for the nation of Israel at this time God spoke to Israel at this time and he spoke to Israel through the prophet Isaiah this is Isaiah 9 verse 1 but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he is made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So as we think about Zebulun and Naphtali, they're in the Northern part of Israel, doom and gloom there for the Northern part of Israel during this time, but there will be a day, there will be a dawning of a new day. In this area called Galilee, something new is going to happen. Something amazing is going to happen. Now look at verse uh, 6 there uh, as it continues. A child is born. Now this is a prophecy. He's looking forward to the future. This is Isaiah that's writing this. God is sharing this with him uh, 700 years before the birth of Christ. And notice he said, a child is born is born. Not a child will be born, but a child is born. That is how certain the prophecy of God is. It will happen. And he speaks of it as if it's in present tense because it's going to happen. Now, as we think about this and we think about the nation of Israel being in this time of doom and gloom, how good is it to be promised a coming child. Think about a child. What hope is there in a newborn child? Newborn children are helpless. Newborn children are dependent on others. I can remember when Darcy and I found out that she was pregnant, there was excitement there. We were anticipating the birth of a child. Uh, We knew it was going to be a boy. Boy, were we shocked when Devonie showed up. (laughs) Everything in her room was blue, and that's when they first came out with boy and girl diapers. So we bought all blue diapers just because we knew we were going to need a bunch. So we bought all blue diapers. We figured, hey, uh, we'll just do it, and we did it. So she had to wear blue diapers, so probably part of her complex today is because of that. But I can remember as we drew near to the birth of of Devaney, I can remember going home and, and taking my dad aside and i can remember telling my dad i don't know what i'm going to do i don't know how to do this i mean i was a 22 year old kid i did not know the first thing about being a parent how am i going to be a parent how am i going to do this she's going to she's going to need me she's going to be dependent on me uh you know i i don't know what i'm going to do i know i know two things i know basketball and and basketball that's all <laughs> that's all i know how am i going to How am I going to do this? And and my dad, he said, "Uh, son, I'll pray for you. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) But here is this child going to be born, and this child is going to be fully dependent on me, and I can remember the reality of that happening. But here is the nation of Israel in this doom and in this gloom. The hope, the light to deliver Israel from this gloom rests on this coming child. Jesus would come into this world, and he would be born just as any other human was born. He would be an infant, and he would grow, and he would mature. Uh, This is Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom, and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Jesus experienced life just as we as humans experience life. He hurt just as we hurt. He wept just as we weep. He hungered just as we hungered. He ran into exhaustion just as we run into exhaustion. Jesus, when he lived his life, he was tempted in every way. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He would not fall into sin like other humans would. He would avoid sin, he would live his entire life, even though tempted, he would not fall into sin. As we think about him coming, he had to be born a child. He had to be born into a human flesh. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. So, as we think about Jesus coming. As a child being born into a manger. For God's plan to work, for God's program to unfold as it was going to unfold and as it has unfolded, He had to come as a child. He had to come born with human flesh. He had to take on human flesh. Now, the next part we read a child is born to us, a son is given. Isaiah, as he records this, is suggesting that this child existed before his birth. And as we think about this, this phrase, speaking of his pre-existence, we see the pre-existence of Christ in other places in Scripture. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So he existed. Bethlehem was not the beginning of his existence. He existed in eternity past. And because of God's plan of salvation, because of the need for a perfect sacrifice, Jesus was willing to come and to take on human flesh. John speaks of this pre-existence as well in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God, and he took on human flesh and he dwelt among us he tabernacled among us that's what that word means is to tabernacle he tabernacled among us the tabernacle was something that was in the Old Testament that was the presence of God Jesus Christ tabernacled among us he dwelt among us he was here the very presence of God with us thinking about this son God giving a son John three sixteen says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life Amen. I was thinking this week and just meditating on this thought of of the child coming and, and the son being given what a miracle that is for that to take place for the virgin birth to happen, for the virgin birth to occur, for this child to be born and for this son to be given. What a miracle. And as we think about Christmas, it is that opportunity for us to celebrate the miracle. The miracle that of, of God's grace, of God's great love being manifested as it was. And I don't think we can look at Christmas without recognizing just the, the magnitude of that miracle. And as we think about the magnitude of this miracle, I think we can look at the majesty of God and and be amazed at the majesty of God, and how how majestic this moment is. And and you know there are scenes that we see sometimes where where we behold like like mountains, and and we think and and I don't know how it is for you, but that song about majesty and how majestic those mountains are when we see those. Uh, Kind of an awe-inspiring, breathtaking thing. When we think about God in, in the flesh coming and dwelling among us and, and all that he is, I, I couldn't help but just think about the majesty that's the that's revealed for us in this passage. Amen. Look at verse 6 as it continues. It says, The government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, we've saw here in the first part of this verse. This look or this vision of him in the in the manger. But as we look at this, we see beyond this, we see uh, Jesus in, in the end and him coming as the Messiah. We are told that the Messiah will reign. He will set up a kingdom in Jerusalem and he will reign physically here on earth. This is Daniel 2 verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. That's the kingdom of the Messiah. When he comes, all other kingdoms are going to be destroyed. And his kingdom will not be overcome. His kingdom will last forever forever until that time comes he reigns over an unseen kingdom he reigns as Lord in the hearts of believers Luke chapter 17 verse 20 says this being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come he answered them the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed nor will they say look here it is or there for behold the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now there will be a time when Jesus comes and sets up that kingdom and reigns physically here on earth. But right now he's reigning in the hearts of believers and we recognize him as our Lord and as our Savior. And that kingdom is alive and well, the government upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. I searched this word wonderful and sought what this would be. And I found this definition. In English, wonderful means extraordinarily good or great. Exciting, a feeling of wonder. Marvelous, extremely good. Exciting or causing marvel. Tending to excite wonder. Surprising, extraordinary, surprisingly excellent. Very admirable, extremely impressive. As we think about him being a wonderful counselor, We can think of him as being extremely impressive. We caught a glimpse of Jesus as this wonderful counselor during his earthly ministry. We've been looking at his earthly ministry on Wednesday nights. And every time there's a crowd of people together, Jesus begins teaching. Jesus begins teaching and a crowd of people assembles. It works both ways. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus is teaching, and usually thousands show up afterwards. That's just the way it works. But Jesus spoke as he taught, he spoke the word of God, the very words of God to them. And their ears were hungry, their ears were thirsty for that. And God and Jesus uh, gave such great uh, wisdom and godly knowledge because he himself is God in the flesh. And he proclaimed that as the people gathered in fact some of the officers the chief priests and pharisees sent some officers to arrest jesus and they showed up when jesus was in one of those teaching times and people were gathered and they returned to the chief priests and the pharisees empty handed and the chief priests and the pharisees said why didn't you arrest him and it says this in john 7:46 the officers answered no one ever spoke like that man. Mm-hmm. Extremely impressive counselor, Amen. even when he was here speaking and teaching physically. Jesus shared in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Himself is the truth. Jesus Himself Teaches the truth. He is the counselor who knows everything. He knows all truth. Thankfully, we don't have to wait for a future date because all of the truth that Jesus taught is recorded for us in the Word. And we have that. We can glean from His teachings because it's been recorded for us and it's been protected for us throughout the years. They've tried to destroy it. The word of God stands, and we have that for us. That that teaching. The next phrase says, "Mighty God." Some have suggested that this just means that He was a a godlike person, that He was had such godlike characteristics. But Jesus was and is a hundred percent God. That didn't change when He became a man. He was still hundred percent God even though he was a hundred percent man this is Colossians 1 verse 19 for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell notice the word all there all the fullness isn't that kind of just a double positive is that really needed I mean the fullness is enough right we understand the fullness but this is all the fullness So just in case you're thinking that maybe it's not full, all the fullness. You know how it was when you stood up after Thanksgiving dinner? You experienced all the fullness and were thankful that you wore those stretchy pants. All the fullness. All of it dwelled in Jesus Christ. Fully mighty God dwelling amongst us he is God Almighty the second member of the Trinity nothing is impossible with God nothing is impossible with Jesus Isaiah understood that the Messiah would be God in the flesh he understood that now it says everlasting father here and this is kind of an interesting phrase we certainly know that Jesus is eternal Uh, we see An eternity past that he was here. He was involved in creation. Uh, To be here before time, you have to be outside of time. To be outside of time is to be eternal. We recognize that in Jesus. When When John was on the Isle of Patmos and he stood face to face to Jesus, we read this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is everlasting. But what about this thought of being everlasting Father? As we look at the Trinity, we see Jesus being one in essence with the Father, uh, certainly distinguished from the Father, but he and the Father are in perfect agreement, one in essence, John 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one, perfect agreement on everything, perfect in essence and everything. Jesus being the perfect representation of the Father. One commentator mentioned that the everlasting Father could speak of Jesus being the Father of eternity, thinking about his role in creation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 says, or Hebrews 1 verse 10 says this, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have... No end. Everlasting. Jesus is everlasting. It says here, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one. When he rules, there will be perfect peace. I often think about this when I hear people say, I pray for world peace. The only time there's going to be world peace is when Jesus Christ is king and he's reigning physically here on earth. Until then, there will not be world peace. You think about it, since time began, since sin entered into the world, there's been fighting and wars and rumors of wars ever since that. And it seems like the longer we are, the older we get, the more and more wars, the more and more rumors of wars there are. Remember World War I? Some of you do. Remember World War One. Uh... They said it was the war of all wars. It was the war to end all wars. It was the great war. But you know the crazy thing about World War I? There's a World War II. Because World War I, the great war, was not the war of all wars to end all wars. Because wars continue to happen. But when Jesus Christ comes to reign, there will be world peace. So when people are praying for world peace, they're praying for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that will be the only time there will be world peace. When Jesus rules, there will finally be that peace. But you know, as we think about the peace, Jesus being the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ is the only one that can bring us peace with God the Father. Because of our sin, we're born enemies of God. There's no peace between us because of our sin and God. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Without the Prince of Peace, there is no peace with God. He's the only one that can bring peace for us between us and God. But you know, Jesus Christ is also the only one that can bring us peace within ourselves. You see, there's no forgiveness of sin, and as long as we're carrying around our sin guilt, there is no peace. We're always in unrest, in that state of unrest, because of sin. Colossians 1 verse 20 says this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I don't know how it was for you, but I remember thinking about my own sin. My Uncle Bud was our pastor, and he was talking about sin, and I can remember sitting there thinking, man, I'm, I'm guilty of sin. I'm a sinner. I recognized as a, as a third grader that I was separated from God because of my sin. And I recognized that that my sin was not good. And and granted, I hadn't sinned a lot, but but the sins that I had, I recognized. Uh, And I knew that sin had separated me from God, even though I was only in third grade. And I can remember talking to my Uncle Bud, and my Uncle Bud said, you've sinned, and I've sinned. And I looked at him and thought, man, you as a pastor have sinned? Man, we gotta find a new church. But you know, sin is what separated us from God. And I can remember sitting there and recognizing my need for for salvation. And I can remember just calling on God and and asking for my sins to be forgiven. And I remember as a third grader just feeling that weight being lifted, not having that guilt of sin on my shoulders anymore. I can remember that joy. And I mean, only as a third grader, I can remember that peace we can have that peace because Jesus Christ came into this world and he lived a perfect life and he paid the penalty He paid the wage for our sin and if we would look to him and recognize him as the one who can provide that peace for us we too can have that peace that peace that's only available through Jesus Christ We can't work for it. We can't earn it. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we can have that peace. Because Jesus Christ is the peace, the Prince of Peace. That peace that's available only through Christ. For those who turn to Jesus and surrender to him, he brings to us the peace of God. Remember when the angels came and they made the announcement, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We think about that, peace with whom he is pleased. How can we be pleasing to God? Psalm 147 verse 11 says this, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. As this holiday season approaches and as this holiday season picks up steam, I think there's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Have we ever surrendered to Jesus Christ. Have we ever recognized that this child that has been born, this son that has been given, have we ever recognized that he is the source of peace between us who are born enemies of God with a holy God. He's the source of peace. Without him there can be no peace but with Christ there can be peace so there you have it the miracle to think that Jesus would leave behind heaven take on human flesh and dwell among us impossible to think about that miracle there was a man Who didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior but his wife did. There was a Christmas program going on at the church and it was in the evening and she said I'm gonna go and he said that's fine I'm gonna stay home and sit in my recliner and so she left. As he sat in his recliner the TV was in front of the windows and the windows overlooked the lake and as he sat there in his recliner he heard a thump and he went to the window to look and there was a Canadian goose out there and it had flown into his window, it happened on occasion but this time it was a goose and so he watched the goose and the goose stood up and kind of shook it off a little bit and the goose got a running start and flew into the window again and he thought man I don't know about this goose and he watched and the goose got up and shook it off and he thought for sure this time the goose will know better. And the goose got another run at it and he was waving his arms in the window thinking the goose would see him. But the goose just flew into the window again. And he's just like stupid goose and he slipped on his shoes because the goose got up shaking his head and he could tell it was deja vu. The goose was gonna do it again. And so he ran out and he was shaking his hands and his slippers, he's shaking and gyrating at the, at the goose and the goose panicked. <coughs> And the goose flew even faster and harder into the window. And he tried again to deter the goose and to stop the goose, but the goose just kept hitting the window time and time again. And he said, you stupid goose. He said, how can I show you where you've got to go? The only way is if I become a goose and I show you the way around the house. And it was at that moment that he realized the miracle that had taken place because God stepped out from beyond into this world and became a man to show us the way of salvation. What a miracle. The child has been born. The son has been given. What a miracle. And when we think about the majesty of that, When we think about God tabernacling among us, how can we not just step back and see how majestic that is? And you know, as we think about our Christmas, this should season our Christmas season. This should cause us to celebrate Christmas in a new way. And not in a new way, but in a a reminded way, recognizing what we have in Jesus Christ. So what do we take home from this? I think it's simple. We need to be reminded to us a child was born. We think about this promise being for Israel but just as this promise was given to Abraham it says all of the world will be blessed Because of Jesus Christ, because he was a child that was born, even us as Gentiles have been given this gift. This child was born. This son was given. And he came into this world to take away the sins of the world, to take away my sin and to take away your sin. And as a result of that, This child being born this son being given we can have peace with God that's only through Christ so my question for you this morning do you have that peace do you have that peace with God if you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior if you've never surrendered to Christ as Lord and Savior Let this Christmas be that Christmas that you do that. Why not let today be the day that you do that? Christmas will take on a whole new perspective if you do that. Nothing like that peace with God. Maybe you're here today and you've trusted Christ at one time in your life. But sin has crept in. Sin has kind of taken a hold of you. And right now you really don't have peace with God because of that sin in your life. Today's a good day to leave that behind. To confess your sin. For Psalm 1, 9 says that He is faithful and just. He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. All in the Greek meaning all. He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. Because he is faithful. Because he is just.